intercostal muscles, which are kind of where your ribs are, and then your abdominal muscles, we know where those are, and then the diaphragm, which we talk about all the time, which is that chief muscle of, of breathing. And, and it's, it's a muscle. You can strengthen it, and you strengthen it by doing these exercises, and that's how you increase your lung capacity. It's Monday, December 5th, and you're listening to the Breathe and Think Better podcast. This is a live talk show that takes place on TikTok weekdays at noon Pacific time. We explore techniques and modalities that are proven to improve both our mental and physical health, like meditation, breathwork, mindfulness, and more. We also bring on guests who have expertise in a wide range of wellness topics and protocols. And finally, we explore the stories of people throughout history who have used the power of their minds and breath to overcome adversity and accomplish amazing feats. So join us on this exploration of the human experience as we find out what it means to breathe and think better. Today, we're talking about Austrian freediver Herbert Nisch, lung capacity and longevity, and breathwork protocols for healthier lungs and more. Let's hop right into today's conversation. Hello, Danny. Hey, Jake. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Good stuff. Tapped in, tuned in. Loves your uh, your blue AirPods in the comments there. Oh, thanks. Tapped in, tuned in. I'm looking forward to our show. Yeah, tapped in, tuned in is going to be joining us this week. Can't remember which day, but it's on the calendar. On Thursday, December eighth, we have Callie Klug, and on Friday, December 9th, we have Brittany Goodman, and that's tapped in, tuned in. So Friday, December 9th. Awesome. We'll see you Friday, Tapped In. We're excited. Hello to everybody else that's joining us right now. This is Breathe and Think Better Live. We're a live TikTok talk show that's also a podcast, and we talk about ways to add fulfillment and happiness in our lives. So we explore techniques like meditation and breath work, anything to help you breathe and think better. And today we're going to talk a little bit about one of the best breathers on the planet, so we're going to kind of dive into uh, this Austrian freediver. His name is Herbert Nisch. And we'll talk about kind of what makes him so special. And then we'll also talk about some of the ways that his work towards becoming one of the best freedivers on the planet can help us in our everyday lives because not all of us are trying to freedive deep down in the ocean. We're going to dive into it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. So Herbert Nisch, he's an Austrian freediver. We've we've uh, we've talked about him before, not on the show, but on on the Breathe Blue Door page. We have a video on Herbert Nisch, and uh, I'll link to that in the show notes of the podcast. But this guy holds thirty three world records across every freediving discipline on the planet. They call him the deepest man on earth. The deepest man. That's such a it's such a great title. I am the deepest man on earth. But uh, but yeah, so he they and they call him the deepest man on earth because he has dove down to the deepest depths of any human, eight hundred and thirty-one feet. Yeah, it's not only the breath that you need to hold, but you also need to hold on to your sanity when you're that deep. Yeah, and there there was an instance actually that oh, so I've been reading about Herbert Nisch for the last few days. He did dive so deep. I, it wasn't on his 831-foot dive, but it was something similar. And he, he suffered from something called nitrogen narcosis, which actually causes hallucinations. And uh, he actually blacked out during that, uh, during that dive. But he ended up, uh, he ended up out of it uh, with no permanent damage, which was amazing. But 831 feet 
I can't like you remember the swimming pool when like when you're a kid like how deep is that like 20 30 feet maybe getting down to the bottom of that you felt like king of the world when you black out when you're that deep there's a rope attached to you right so then your crew has to pull you up yeah so depending on the the specific discipline in free diving because there's so many different ones each one has like a different protocol I think for the one when he blacked out, he's he's attached to a rope through like a 10-foot lanyard. And then there are free divers and scuba divers actually who are nearby. So when when they when someone blacks out, there are there are usually people there. And then they'll they'll kind of get him to the top. There's other disciplines that they use like emergency inflatables. So they'll like hit the emergency button or someone else can hit it and it pops an inflatable. But the problem is when you're down that deep, you need to decompress before you come up. So that's where it gets kind of weird. Um, you don't need to decompress as much when you're free diving, if at all. You have to go down really deep in order to decompress. But when you're scuba diving and you're breathing that compressed air, that's when you have to decompress. Yeah, I know if you get pulled up too fast, you can get like permanent brain damage. Yep. Yep. And he, uh, Herbert Nish did suffer, I think, three strokes when he, uh, when he, when he did decompress too quickly. If anyone's interested in that particular story, he did an interview that I'll link to in the show notes of this podcast where he talks about that, that, uh, specific accident and it's fascinating. Um, but so he's, he's, he's dove down 831 feet deepest man on earth and he can hold his breath for over nine minutes and that's with no pure oxygen a lot of times free divers will inhale pure oxygen because the air we breathe is not pure oxygen it's mostly nitrogen but if you inhale pure oxygen you can really ramp up the levels you know of saturated o2 in the blood and then you can hold your breath for a while but he does it with no pure oxygen nine minutes so that's got to be a different because i've read that the longest breath hold is like 23 minutes or something crazy. So you can actually double your breath hold when you use pure oxygen, apparently. Yes, yep. And uh, and it also depends on, so like if you're just holding and you're not actually free diving, that's different too, because think about it, the body's using oxygen when you're moving at all, right? And even with free diving, they use weights. They're not like actively swimming down, they're mostly just dropping. But you're still using a lot of oxygen and then the body uses more oxygen when your emotions and stuff ramp up. So if you're just sitting in a pool, chilling, you know, you can hold your breath for a lot longer than if you're going down 831 feet, it's getting dark. You know, you might, who knows what's down there, you can't see. And we all have, you know, I'm sure everyone listening has been in dark water that you can't see. It's not really the most calming thing. So the body's using a lot more oxygen when you're actually diving down. Yeah, because I mean, I'm going back to our days when we used to practice the Wim Hof breathing technique. And Danny and I would practice the technique together on the phone. And Danny, I think your record was like, four minutes and 30 seconds, which is still pretty insane. <laughs> I was proud of that. Yeah, we got up to that. And so let's talk about that, right? So that Wim Hof method that Jake and I would practice, it's a controlled hyperventilation, right? So breathing in uh, rapidly, <sighs> no breaks in between. And what that actually does is it doesn't affect your oxygen levels that much, but it offloads all, almost all of your CO2, right? And that's what tells the body to breathe. We have these two uh, cells, or they're not just individual cells, it's a group of cells, behind the ears at the base of the brain called chemoreceptors, and they measure 
the CO2 in the blood. And when that level gets too low, they signal to the brain to breathe. So that's, that's what makes us breathe automatically. It's the CO2 in the blood levels. So when Jake and I would practice the Wim Hof, we're offloading all that CO2. And it allows the, the brain to, to just not – or it allows you to be more comfortable, I should say, with not breathing. Um, obviously, you hold your breath for a certain amount of time. You, you risk some damage to the brain. But, uh, but through this Wim Hof, this controlled hyperventilation, you can offload that CO2. And that's what Herbert Nish uses before he freedives. Yeah, and I'm sure he's doing like a rhythmic breathing pattern as well. So it's not it's not only like larger breaths and offloading CO2. There's something happening when you breathe in a rhythm that it's like a if you think about it, it's like a water pump. And and once it gets going, it won't it won't stop. And that just circulates the blood through your body and you're almost breathing into every corner of your body. Yeah, and he does he does a lot of flexibility training, so really making room for the lungs to expand quite a bit. And they've measured his uh, his lung capacity, and we'll talk about the lung capacity and why that's important in a few minutes. But his lung capacity is fourteen liters, which is double the average human. And he's not he's not giant, you know. He's he's, he's I don't know exactly how tall. He is, but he's not. He's. I'm pretty sure he's average size. And your the size of your body doesn't necessarily have to do with the size of your lungs directly, anyway. But it, he's been able to increase his lung capacity by doing these trainings, these these breathing, breathing in this rhythm, breathing very quickly, holding his breath, and then stretching and creating more flexibility in his intercostal muscles, which are kind of where your ribs are, and then your abdominal muscles, we know where those are, and then the diaphragm, which we talk about all the time, which is that chief muscle of, of breathing. And, and it's, it's a muscle. You can strengthen it, and you strengthen it by doing these exercises, and that's how you increase your lung capacity and be able to do you know, some of these dives. I don't know if anyone listening is going to be going 830 feet down. I know I'm certainly not. But just doing these exercises has a really profound effect on your on your health and wellness too, and we'll dive into a little bit of, of that in a minute. But um, but yeah, so that that hyperventilation that's one of the best ways to just increase the the amount of time you can hold your breath right off the bat. Yeah, I can't find his height and weight on Google right now, but I do see that he said in two, in June two thousand seven he descended seven hundred and two feet, beating his own record of six hundred feet. And then you said his record now is at 831 feet. Yep. Yeah, he was he was the previous world record holder when he when he broke the world record. He he broke his own two records. So he's been it's like people don't even really come as close as him. And like you were saying, there's people that hold their breath longer. It's not really a matter of holding your breath longer when it comes to certain disciplines of freediving. It's it has a lot to do with the mental state. 100%. It's that's scary. That's <laughs> really scary to go down that deep. Do we know if he's still diving? He's 52 years old now. So the interview I listened to this morning was from 2019, and he's, he's still diving, but not really competitively. After his accident, he was able to, to get himself back into free diving, but he's just not really – I don't think he's trying to break any records anymore, man. I mean, once you go – once you're the deepest man on earth, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're that forever. I don't, I don't really foresee anyone breaking this. Obviously, I'm not super tuned into the world of free diving. I, I think it's interesting, but, 
But man, I I don't know. I I think if I was him, I would be I would be done with the uh, with the crazy stuff. There are free diving schools popping up, and because it is such a good practice, like breath holding is such a great practice. And then you're talking going down into the water, even even in a controlled environment, like it's still scary. <laughs> like like you said earlier, like those pools that we were swimming in, kids. Like it, when you go to the bottom, even if you're only, you know, 10, 15 feet deep, it's still a little nerve wracking on, especially on the way up. So I don't know. It would be interesting to see if someone does beat his record and he just emerges as 55 year old Herbert niche and goes down even deeper. (laughs) That would be unbelievable. I mean, he's, I think he's in shape for it. He was, he was talking about how he's still doing his, his trainings and stuff like that. So his his protocol, it's very similar to what we just talked about, the Wim Hof, but he calls it, what does he call it? He's got a really funny name for it, couch breathing. <laughs> I love that. So he sits on the couch and he does that, that breathing pattern we were just talking about with Wim Hof, but it, it's slightly different. So he's doing really quick inhales and exhales and then holding on the exhale, just like you do with Wim Hof. For um, for however long, and he does he does the whole exercise for sixty to ninety minutes. But here's the difference, and I liked this: he keeps the timing of his breathing the same as his breath holds. So, for example, if he does a ninety seconds of hyperventilation, he'll do a ninety second hold, but then he'll up it and he'll he'll do a hundred and twenty seconds of breathing, hundred and twenty second hold, and he keeps going up and up and up until he gets to what, wherever, you know, wherever the stopping point is. But I thought that was interesting because that the Wim Hof is different where you're, you're just doing 30 strong breaths, then holding. But doing this kind of like step up exercise was, was cool. I like that. I do like seeing and comparing the different breathing techniques from the different teachers because that reminds me of the Dan Brule 20 circular breaths breathing technique where it's four circular breaths in a row. And then the fifth breath is twice as large. And you repeat that four times. So it's a total of 20 rounds. And it's interesting to feel like just from doing one round of that, I feel great doing four rounds. That's been my morning routine lately. Yeah, exercises like that are great because, I mean, one of the things we talked about a little earlier is what they do is they offload the CO2. And that makes you that makes you feel pretty good. Um, generally, if you have excess CO2, it makes you feel very uncomfortable. And that's why a lot of the exercises we talk about for anxiety, things like that, you're offloading CO2. You're, you know, the size, <sighs> offloading CO2. Offloading CO2 generally makes you feel good. I want to add to that, though, because... If you're sensitive to low CO2 levels, it also makes you much more prone to anxiety and panic attacks, which I found was really interesting. So by doing like Herbert Nisha's exercise that we just talked about, for example, or a Wim Hof, you're increasing your body and brain's tolerance to CO2 which actually strengthens your ability to to withstand anxiety and panic attacks and actually, you know, raises the threshold of of your resilience to those. So not only do these exercises do really amazing things in the, you know, white blood cell count, immune system for your brain, but they can also make you more resilient to anxiety and which is I mean that's it's just fascinating. That reminds me of in James Nestor's book Breath 
when he does the, the CO2 test where he actually breathes in CO2. And he describes it as one of the most painful feelings in his life. But it's increasing your tolerance to that CO2 that you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And because the reason being is because when if you're sensitive to low CO2 levels, then you are prone to hyperventilating without knowing it. And that's what causes a, a large majority, not all, but a large majority of panic and anxiety attacks because your brain thinks that – or your chemoreceptors are telling your brain to breathe. So you're breathing kind of rapidly and you're, that offloads even more CO2 telling your brain that you need even more oxygen, that you need to breathe more. So it's, it's a vicious circle. And if you can condition yourself to be okay – with those low CO2 levels, then you, you won't do that, that breathing response and you won't work yourself up into this panic attack. And the best way to do that is those exercises we just mentioned and then also practicing any other types of breath holds. Breath holds is, is what's going to increase your CO2 tolerance. Yeah, across breathing protocols, like if you now go into the McEwen methods and the oxygen advantage Across breathing protocols, they talk about how you can't properly oxygenate your body if you don't have enough CO2 in it. And if you look at everyone's, because you can create an unlimited amount of breathing exercises, but they all follow the same principles. And one of those principles is CO2 tolerance. And breath holds themselves, too, are just as ancient as all the other you know breathing techniques we've talked about on the show. The first time they're mentioned, as far as we know, is in the... Um, the Bhagavad Gita, which is a Hindu spiritual text, you're talking 400 BC. That's over 2,000 years ago. And they, they outline in the Bhagavad Gita uh, the first ever, as far as we can tell, breath hold exercise. And the words that they use is a trance that can be induced by stopping all breathing. We've obviously come a long way in our understanding of the human body and brain in 2,000 years. And now we know when you hold your breath, you, you can have things like brain tissue regeneration, increased lung capacity, decreased stress and anxiety, reduced inflammation, and a longer life uh, just from those breath hold exercises. So, you know, we've been practicing them as humans for so long and we're just starting to learn some of these additional benefits. We know you can do this sort of like meditations and trance-like states from that. But now we're learning, you know, all these positive physical benefits it has as well. So there's rhythmic breathing that we talked about. There's the breath holds that we talked about. What about just becoming mindfulness, mindful of your breath and breathing less? Like in the Oxygen Advantage Patrick McEwen protocol where you're, I guess, you're extending your breath. So you're offloading more CO2. So it kind of falls into that same principle that we're talking about. Absolutely. And I think, you know, most of the experts will tell you if you're looking for breathing exercises to help with anxiety, panic and stuff like that, you're going to want to number one, slow down. That's the number one advice that you're going to get because when you're hyperventilating, you just, you're exacerbating that, that CO2 shortness of breath feeling that you're getting. So you really want to slow down the body or excuse me, slow down the breath extend the exhales and allow, you know, both the oxygen and the CO2 levels to kind of come back into their comfortable levels. 
because it's 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 kind of like a it, it's there's a little game you know you don't want your co2 levels to be too high that's going to make you feel uncomfortable and you don't want them to be too low unless you've conditioned the body you know to be comfortable with that and if you have done some of this training this breath hold training then you know being comfortable with those those low co2 levels then those breathing exercises that Jake was just talking about the the sighing the rhythmic breathing that's going to help you even more because you're offloading co2 lowering the co2 levels and your brain is saying oh okay I recognize this, right? We've practiced this. Low CO2 is fine. Like we're okay. And then you'll, you'll start to feel, you know, better. So when James Nestor's doing the test, is he just straight breathing in carbon dioxide through a mask? Yes. Yep. Pure CO2, which we don't recommend to anyone ever do that. <laughs> that's basically just giving yourself a panic attack. And that's what he describes. It's uh, pure, pure panic and fear. And that, that's, that's what happens. And luckily, none of us will probably ever have to experience that. You can't really just go out and buy tanks of CO2. But yeah, that's what he did. I don't know. That, it seems like it's in the future just to try it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I don't know. It makes me nervous. I'm going to try it. So let's see. There was one other. We've talked about we talked about Herbert Nish and free diving and some of the amazing things he's done. We talked about the, his protocol, his breathing protocol, and how he offloads CO2 in his body. We talked a little bit about CO2 tolerance and breath holds and CO2 and anxiety. I think the last thing that we should touch on, so we talked about his his big old lungs, right? His 14-liter massive lungs, which now makes me, I want to know how big my lungs are. I want to, because like maybe I want to know like what the baseline is. And then over time, like kind of measure, like am I, my lungs getting stronger? Are they getting weaker? I, I want to know that. We're going to have to get all these tested because I want to know where my brain waves are at. <laughs> we got we to get, get a whole medical team in here in the studio. But um, so th the last thing I think we should talk about is that lung capacity. So Herbert Nish, he's got 14 liter lungs, giant, big old double barrel lungs. And that's a big deal because there's a there's a very famous study called the Framingham study. We've talked about it before on the show. We've talked about it on the page. We have videos on the Breathe Blue Door page. But the Framingham study found that lung capacity was the greatest indicator of lifespan. And this was a large scale study, 5,200 subjects two decades of data. And they were specifically looking for heart disease, like markers of heart disease. And they found that lung capacity was the greatest indicator of lifespan, meaning the larger your lungs were, the larger the capacity, the longer your life was. And there's a lot of different reasons for this. But they found it to be a better marker than genetics, than diet, than exercise, all of those things. So we're talking about, you know, being able to hold your breath. And that's cool. But not all of us are free divers. But building up lung capacity can give us a longer life. Yeah. I mean, I've felt the benefits just from practicing conscious breathing exercises that I feel healthier. And it makes sense if you're talking about the one thing that gives us energy, which is the bubble of air that we're all breathing in. Exactly. And, and even if you look at like who's a good example um, – Dr. Buteko, right? We have a we have a great story on Dr. Buteko on the Breathe Blue Door page. He was working with these terminally ill patients, and not all of them, a lot of them had COPD, asthma, things like that. But a lot of them had that as an underlying cause of something else. So they were suffering from things like heart disease, but they had developed asthma and COPD because, you know, they were they were stagnant, not moving, not exercising, not practicing breathing exercises. 
And the problem is if you're not able to to move, you know, the oxygen through the body, then it can exacerbate, you know, the the problems from your genetics, from your diet, from your lack of exercise. So giving yourself a baseline of a really strong, you know, big lungs, that can really help you as you as you go through life, as you age through life. I think it's just it's going to become something that is more talked about than it is now. And I think that in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever, that's going to be like something that that doctors will actually prescribe and, and like have patients focus on and be like, hey, listen, you have a really high chance of, of heart disease. It runs in your family. You got to build up your lung capacity. You know, here's your regimen and here you go. But everyone listening to this, you can get ahead of the curve right now just by practicing the breathing exercises that we talk about on the show all the time and that you can find on both of our pages and kind of get ahead of the curve. When you're breathing in air, you're breathing in energy. And so if you can, you can actually do exercises to increase the size of your lungs, you can increase the amount of energy that you're breathing in. And you're not just breathing energy into your lungs, you're sending it to every corner of your body. That's what we focus on, breathing and thinking better. They're both linked, you know, because if you're, if you're breathing in these patterns too, it's going to help your mental state. And if you're working on your mental state through meditation, it's going to help your breathing. They're all connected. It's all the same. And breathing and thinking better is our goal for everyone listening, you know, to this show. And I think that, that Herbert Niche is a, is a great example of someone to, to kind of take a look on, take, you know, look him up. I'll include some of his links in the show notes of this podcast, Breathe and Think Better on your favorite podcasting platform and do some research into him and, and check him out. And And he's just one person, you know, that, that we've talked about on the show. And we're going to start doing this a little bit more, highlighting these people who have achieved these amazing feats through breathing and thinking better, breath work and meditation. And um, it's just, he's he's very inspiring, very fascinating. When your breathing is calm, your mind is calm, you're able to become more alert, more conscious. It makes whatever you're doing better. I think with that, it's probably a good cue for us to to practice a little breathwork exercise together. What do you think? Yeah, what did you have in mind today, Danny? Well, we talked a little bit about, you know, this controlled hyperventilation. It's not my favorite exercise to lead, though, especially for, for folks as they kind of go through their, their day. But maybe we can do like... Um, like a three-part breath to like breathing into different parts of the body and kind of working to extend the diaphragm, extend the intercostal muscles, open up the chest. I think that that's appropriate. So when we, when we do the pre, when we practice the three-part breath, this actually expands our lung capacity. So there's three different parts of our breath. There's the lower region, which is our pelvic floor to our belly button. There's the middle region, which is our belly button to our nipple line. And then there's the higher region, which is our nipple line up to below our chin. And so we can practice the three-part breath right now and breathe into the different areas in our lungs. And this will actually help expand our lungs, which will help increase our longevity when we repeat this practice over time. So we can all practice together right now. Let's do it. All right. So when you're breathing into the, the lower portion of your lungs, you want to breathe low and you want to breathe slow. So you want to imagine the oxygen coming in through your nose, up and around your skull, down into the bottom of your lungs. And then you just let go on the exhale. Now we're going to breathe into the middle. It's going to be a little bit faster, but you're going to breathe into the middle between your belly button 
below your nipples. And now we're gonna breathe into our upper chest, our middle nipple to below our chin, and it's gonna be faster. Now let's try connected breath, where we breathe into the bottom of our lungs, the middle and top all in one breath. And let's continue at this pace here. So we're breathing slowly into the bottom of our lungs, then the middle and the top and letting go. So keep going here. Filling up the bottom of our lungs first, the middle and then the top. Let's do one more and then we're gonna go into a breath hold at the bottom of our exhale. Go ahead and hold your breath. Relaxing the muscles in your face, relaxing your neck and shoulders. Just 10 more seconds here, keep holding. And all together, we'll breathe in. Holding your breath at the top of your inhale, moving that oxygen around your body. And exhaling with a sigh of relief. <sighs> That's it right there. What was that? That was a two to three minute exercise that we just worked on increasing our lung capacity, building up CO2 tolerance, working towards Herbert Niche levels. That's right. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Breathe and Think Better podcast. Don't forget to check the show notes of this episode for links to additional information and free resources, including guided breathwork and meditation exercises. You'll also find links in the show notes to join our future live events. If you want to learn more about breathwork and meditation, visit breatheandthinkbetter.com. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow.